and welcome to episode 23 of the Bright for Your Life podcast. Joined as always by Mike Hurley. Hello, Ian Broom. Hello, hello. So um, it's been quite a, an eventful week for me, or at least you would think if you saw me on the internet. There's been, a, been quite a lot happening. Got a new website. On, the, on that new website, I uh, announced that officially, even though I kind of announced this accidentally on the podcast last week, uh, or maybe it was the week before, uh, that I'm going to be dad to identical twins. Woohoo! Woohoo, indeed. It's all very exciting. So I announced that officially. And today, about, I don't know, three hours ago, um, I sent um, an email out to my mailing list that you can access via the website, and I sent the, a free sample of my novel, Ace Rangelica. So the first four chapters um, of the novel, which is also exciting, because it's kind of, well, it's not kind of, it absolutely is the first time anyone's um, going to have read it, I guess. And when I say anyone, I mean like complete strangers. Um, so it's quite exciting, but the kind of the terror is starting to set in. This is the kind of thing that I'm scared about. But, um, you know, in a positive way, it's okay to be scared sometimes. Indeed. So, yes, yeah, so I thought, um, I mean, I don't know if we, we could talk about the website. There isn't an awful lot to, not an awful lot to talk about, apart from the fact I'm so pleased that it's there and it's up and um and um and I've and I've finished working on it. It's out in the wild. Well, mostly finished working on it. There's always room for improvement, and there are a few things that I still need to sort out. But generally speaking, I you know I have my own website now. Right for your life is no more, apart from this podcast, of course. Yeah. Um, it's important to say that, isn't it? Actually. Yeah, I mean, e- even though you've changed over to Ian Broom, um, dot com, right? Yeah, Ian Broom dot com. Um, we're retaining the right for your life name, I think, because it's a nice brand and it means that we can keep it, doesn't it? And you can keep the, the name alive as well. I think that's cool. So the right for your life podcast is sort of a part of ianbroom.com and 70 decibels now, which is good because it, it detaches it from uh, the, the brand name and such. Does that make, does that make sense? It does. I, I, I didn't. I, I never enter my head really to change it. I don't know what we'd have changed it to because the Ian Broom podcast. I'm not sure. <laughs> I even, don't think I would have allowed that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure even my ego could have coped with that. Um, so it, I don't know what it would have changed to. So it just made sense to keep it as the the right for your life podcast because you know I'm on on ianbroom.com. I'm going to be talking about. Kind of all the same things. It's still I still consider it the blog and the podcast to be complementary, um, but um, it's going to be more about I don't know I don't I guess really not a lot is going to change, <laughs> but but that's all right. I like it the way things I like things the way they are. Um, so yes, but it's worth mentioning that don't sort of search for um, you know you can still go to ianbroom.com forward slash podcast and it will it's the right for your life podcast that you'll be taken to or information about it um so yes there's that indeed. um go on no i said in, it just said indeed oh indeed 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 absolutely indeed, indeed. terrific marvelous um so the, what yes the, and then the other thing of course yes the free sample to the mailing list now it's quite uh, we talked last week about writing confidence um and and uh, and the lack of it, I suppose, and how you try and stay confident, and and the idea that you know what's the worst that can happen, 
And, um, and so sending out, um, I mean, my mailing list is quite new, so it doesn't have as many people subscribe to it as, for example, the blog or even the podcast. Um, nowhere near as many. But, um, but that's kind of, uh, that's kind of why I wanted to start my list so that I could, I could, they, they're kind of the people who I think, um, who deserve to, you know, if you take the trouble to give me access to your inbox, so to speak, then uh, they deserve to have stuff first. So I hope it's, you know, when I send my emails out, they are quite personal in the sense, like they were the people who I sent the uh, first email, they found out that I was having expecting twins before anyone else. Yeah. So that's kind of a marketing strategy that I'm going to go for with the, with, with trying to sell the book, really. It's kind of trying to, quality, not quantity almost, so focus on making people happy who have shown an interest in me and my book and mm-hmm. my writing um, rather than just throwing stuff out there to the world and hoping that some of it sticks. I said that politely. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> so that's going to be interesting. It's, um, it's, um, uh, it's, uh, it's exciting. It's, like, it's exciting for people to read the first four chapters of my novel. And interestingly, at least to me, is that those first four chapters, whilst not in the same order and whilst have been, they have been tinkered with, it's kind of the part of the book that is, is more or less the same as it was when I first started writing eight years ago, which is kind of crazy, really. Yeah. Um, and, and for example, the, the line, Benny paints pictures with his eyes closed, that was, the entire novel came from that line, and that's still the second, it's the first line in the second chapter. The first chapter is very, very short. And so it's kind of the start of the book, and it seems mad. It's kind of, it's kind of odd that I'm sharing this with the world when it's something that's been in, in my head and, I guess, on my own computer and a select few other people's computer for quite a long time. And um, so now it's out there, and it's, um, yeah, it's exciting. I'm gonna, hopefully it'll all work out for the best. But I, I need people to buy this thing. This is a big advert for me, isn't it? Should we do a big advert for someone else before we move on to... Um, uh, before we move on to the idea of quality control and how do you write brilliantly all the time? What a superb a... segue, Ian Broom. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm good at the segues. That was, I'm very pleased with you. You did an excellent job there. I want to tell everyone about Hover. Hover.com, simple domain management. So, clues in the name, really. They give you excellent service for domains. Now, we're all used to buying domain names. You know, We all have our websites. I'm sure Ian Broom has his website. And we're kind of used to bad service, I think, um, from, from other companies. You know, you're getting upsells. Um, you're getting all sorts of things thrown at you left, right, and center. All you want is a domain, but you're saying, hey, what about the hosting? Hey, what about a website builder? Hey, hey, hey. That's kind of effectively the process of buying a domain until Hover comes along. Now, when I first used Hover a couple of weeks ago, I was blown away. Blown away. I searched for the domain that I wanted. It was available. I selected to buy it, signed up, and bought it. I wasn't asked if I wanted to purchase a 100 different things. All I did was just sign up with my information, put my credit card information in, and I purchased it. And it's, you know, you're looking at starting prices for .com domains of $15 a year for both domain purchase and domain transfer, and they do $10 a year for renewals, which is excellent stuff indeed. Sorry, it's $15 for registering and renewal, $10 for transfers. 
So if you want to start afresh or if you want to bring a domain over from another provider, they will help you out. They give free who is privacy. Now, basically what that is, is if you do not have something called who is privacy on a domain, somebody can do a search for for the domain that you have and they can find out all of your personal information, your name, telephone, contact numbers, address, all the stuff that you register with your domain provider. Other providers make you pay for this. Hover, give it to you for free. They have real human beings providing their support and during office hours they have a no hold policy if you call the number that's directly at the top of their homepage, somebody will pick up the phone straight away and be ready to talk to you to help you out with what you need in today's business world just that blows my mind they have simple to manage dns tools bulk domain management um, they do dot coms dot co dot tv dot net all of the you know all of the domain subdomains that you're going to need the top level stuff it's absolutely fantastic for great prices, great service. They make things simple for you. And we have a great offer. You're going to love this offer again. We can give you 10% off um, in two ways. You can go to hover.com forward slash tally ho, which is. I do like that. It's excellent, isn't it? Which is T A L L Y H O. Or you can use the offer code tally ho when you sign up. So either go to the URL or use the offer code for a. Real simple process to registering a domain. Go to hover.com. This is the way it should be um, without being sold to all the time. Thank you very much to Hover for sponsoring this episode. I mean, just looking at the Hover website, it kind of feels like it was built um, in the last uh, five years, whereas most domain services feel like it's still from that they were kind of built in the mid-90s and no one's bothered to actually tell them that the web has actually become quite uh, quite a handy thing that people normal people use and a handsome place too oh uh, yeah actually sort of use nice design and things <laughs> like that but it's a nightmare it's like i think that buying a domain name typically is the third most irritating thing that i ever do and i do it too much um and um and it's the the normal people thing is the key thing for me it's um the problem with domain services is that they tend to um, they tend to make things complicated for people who don't typically buy domains. And I know the Right for Life audience are very attractive and they're very savvy, but not all of us are completely technical. And um, and something like Hover, which actually makes it, um, I don't know, not just simple, but kind of um, um, enjoyable almost. It kind of, kind of like yeah. like a, a process that Refreshing. isn't going to isn't going to be very unpleasant and uh, upset you in so many ways. It seems kind of perfect to me. Um, so I'm very pleased that Hover are on board. It's um, it's very kind of them, and uh, and uh, everyone should go try them out. I agree, Ian Broom. I agree. So I want to talk a bit, a bit, uh, a bit, a bit. I want to talk a bit, a bit, which is a new way of saying I want to talk a little bit about <laughs> um, a post that I wrote. So I've I've written three posts. I mean, one of them was welcome to my new website, but um, three posts on Right for Life. I'm right if you like. See, I can't get out of the habit. On ianbroom.com. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how many times you slip up saying that. I know, that's a bit embarrassing. Never mind, especially when it's my own name. It's kind of... <laughs> you should go there first. <laughs> I know, never mind. Anyway, I want to talk a bit about the post that I wrote called Make Sure All Your Writing Is Marvellous. And... Um, I've been thinking about it since I published it. Basically, the premise of what I'm saying is that... Um, us writers, we're quite emotional beings, and if we write something that is that we think is particularly good, it might be a certain paragraph within a blog post, it might be a particular chapter within a novel, 
Um, it could be, I don't know, it could be any of those things. It could be a particular news article in your local rag. Any of those things. We get quite excited about it because we're quite emotional and we tend to focus on what we've done really well. And the crux of what I'm saying in this article and what I want to talk about is the fact that we need to kind of be a bit more pragmatic, folks, because although we might think a particular part of what we've written is amazing, it might not be the same uh, part that your readers find amazing. People that read our writing, whatever it is, constantly surprise us. And whilst, of course, we would always recommend having your readers in mind, you can never really predict what they actually like. And um, and this might go for podcast episodes, Mike. I'll see what you think. But the 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 the, the example that I used um, in this post is that is blog is blogging. It's kind of it's so often it happens, and I, I know lots of other bloggers that have said the same thing is that you can spend hours and hours, days even, weeks, months, writing what you think is the perfect blog post. And then when you hit publish, nothing really happens. I mean, you might get the same amount of traffic or the same amount of comments or the same kind of, I don't know, any kind of response um, as all the other posts that you spent much less time on. And then out of nowhere, you might throw something together in, I don't know, 20 minutes, put it online someone links to it who you weren't expecting to, and before you know it, the entire world is talking about this blog post that you put together very quickly. Yeah. And I've had the same experience, really, with my novel. There's been... Um, in fact, I'll give you another example as well, but with my novel, I've... Uh, there's been parts of that that I've been... I've thought are absolutely brilliant. <laughs> this is... Everyone's going to love this. This is terrific. No one can... No one can write a better chapter than the one I've just written. And then I've sent it off to, I don't know, my agent or maybe in years gone by to my creative writing tutor. And um, and uh, the feedback's come back and it's either covered with red pen saying you need to change all of this nonsense or um, or it's kind of just gone unnoticed with the rest of the work. It happens all the time. Um, before I ask you about whether this uh, comparison is sensible for podcast episodes, the other example is quite an interesting one because this goes back to the idea of um, as becoming too emotional. Um, and the idea of trying that writers, it's good to be as pragmatic and as objective as possible about your own writing. Um, and this is, uh, this is particularly relevant when you're writing about something that's quite, um, either autobiographical or quite close to your heart, something that means a lot to you, that kind of thing. Um, because then it's pretty much impossible to, um, separate the emotion from it. Um, and this happened to me a long time ago, and I was, I wasn't, <laughs> I guess I was okay, but I wasn't a particularly good writer. I'd written a poem, um, for my, um, what year would I be in? I think I would be in my first year of university. So I was only, what, 18 or 19, something like that. And it was about, um, a friend of mine who wasn't really a friend. He was a guy I went to school with, but I'd played football with him years before. So I knew him reasonably well, and, and, and I, I kind of knew his brother, and, used to know his dad and anyway the story goes and it's not a very nice story i'm afraid but he uh this guy who i went to school with he died he went on holiday with a group of lads um who i also knew went to school with and they were i don't know where they were you know ibiza magaluf that type of place and um he fell off a balcony complete accident and he died and i wrote about this and it, the reason i wrote about it was because he obviously it affected me i was quite a young lad and um 
And while I didn't know him um, really, really well, I still knew him and it still had an effect on me. So I wrote about it and I thought this poem was absolutely brilliant. And I, sh- and I gave it to my tutor with, um, a, in, in a collection, really. I guess there were maybe 10 poems and that was one of them. And he really liked the collection. But that one poem, he actually sat me down and said, this is, this is actually not very good. And um, I took it really hard. I found that really really difficult because it meant so much to me it kind of i thought that that poem was brilliant you know it had such feeling such emotion but of course that was the problem the, the emotion i wasn't objective about it uh, because i couldn't be because i was writing it what two weeks after this sort of tragic event had happened um and 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 i couldn't i couldn't detach myself and and what i thought was kind of brilliant writing was actually just a young bloke who was a bit upset about something trying to put it into words and and what I lost was the the technical kind of um, excellence. I'm not saying the rest were technically excellent, but that's what I was aiming for, and that kind of went out the window for me in that particular example. So I'm sorry to bring everyone down a little bit with that story, but I think it kind of illustrates what I'm getting at: is that you need to separate yourself from the emotion of what you're doing and kind of the uh, subjectivity of writing um, um, in terms of how you feel about your writing, and concentrate on the practical kind of task of writing well um, and making your writing technically um, consistent and hopefully brilliant. So just to track back slightly there, about five minutes, Mike, um, I did mention podcast episodes. So do you think that the idea of sometimes you'll put a put an episode of a podcast out and you think it's, you know, just one of those episodes, just, you know, just, just another episode, never just another episode. I know that. But when you're you kind of not expecting um, anything particularly special to happen, then before you know it, you have, you know, it's been downloaded more than any other podcast episode in history or, or I guess the opposite where you think that something's, you know, a real brilliant piece of podcasting history and it's kind of treated just the same as all the other podcasts. Is that something you've experienced? I have in both senses to be honest i mean it's because i think the the thing is sometimes broom you you can't always know how something's going to resonate with someone so like we had a lot of real great feedback about last week's episode a lot of people really enjoyed it um but when we were recording it like it didn't feel like it was an extra special episode um, it felt like a, a solid episode, like we always do. You know, I feel that this show is consistently great, and I think that that is because of you. <laughs> True. It's just the way that I feel. Um, and but, I mean, we had a bunch of people on Twitter, more than usual, say that they really enjoyed the episode, and we had a couple of emails as well. Um, and it's just interesting how sometimes the things that you say can just resonate with people because it might be at the right time for them or all the stars might align like for example, we we launched a show about Android recently, mm. and it's the perfect time to do that because we spoke about the Nexus Seven, um, which hopefully I'm going to have next week. Broom is is the the fingers crossed we'll have it next week so we can talk about it then. Exciting. Um, but a lot of geeks and nerds are interested in the Nexus Seven now and, and what Google's doing. So we've launched the show at just the right time. You know, so sometimes things like that can happen as well, and you you can't always expect. I mean, I guess the undercurrent of what you, well, from what I can take from what you're saying is, you should always expect that whatever you do could be the best thing you ever do, but you might not necessarily see it. So you should always put that level 
of consistency and work in. Is that about right? Have I summed it up? Yeah, that's pretty good. And, and, and you're right. The idea, you can't predict how something is going to be received. So therefore, don't kind of get excited yourself. Don't make your, don't put yourself in the position of your own reader. I mean, it's useful doing that in other contexts. It's useful to imagine yourself as a reader. Um, if you want to, to kind of, if you've written a piece and you want to then try and step back and imagine and, you know, look, look for kind of technical errors that are, you know, there are kind of, there are kind of examples or contexts where that is relevant. But generally speaking, if, if you, you want to stay, you want to be the writer, you want to control this thing all the time. I mean, I, some of this is quite difficult to explain, both writing down and in person, but um, as in now, talking to you. Um, but it's, for me, it's, it's, um, it, is about, it is about quality control. That's what I said earlier on. And a lot of writing goes wrong. A lot of writers struggle because they can't detach themselves from what they're doing, so, as I say, emotionally, but also, you know, in a just in a, in a way that they kind of let themselves get carried away. And I'm saying let themselves there like I've never done it. Of course I've done it. I do it all the time. Um, it's, it's very hard not to. But that's kind of, um, it's kind of really, really important to remember that you can change anything in your work. You can change any part of your novel. You can change any part of the blog post that you're writing um, at any time. So if you get carried away with a particular passage thinking how brilliant it how brilliant it is then you kind of it's it's so easy to take your eye off the ball and and think well the rest of it doesn't matter because that that paragraph's brilliant and all my readers are going to love that but as a writer you're in control of the entire thing and your reader might not think that paragraph was particularly brilliant and if the rest of your piece or the rest of your novel whatever it is um isn't brilliant just just isn't um then you're kind of stuffed because the bit that you wanted to impress people with has gone unnoticed and it's because you've taken your eye on the ball. And hang on, this, this does tie, I don't want to go on about this again, but uh, for those that don't know, there was, a, there was I wrote an article probably almost a year ago called Can You Really Write a Novel in Seven Weeks? It caused a little bit of a stir because I was basically saying that you can't write a novel in seven weeks and... I guess I revised my opinion somewhat to say you can't write a decent novel in seven weeks. I'm sure people do write novels in seven weeks because a lot of people argued with me. <laughs> but I don't think you can write a good one in seven weeks because you can't have that level. You can't have that objectivity. Um, and I know, I know that the problem with that post, um, in fact, there was nothing wrong with that post. It was brilliant. But the, the issue with that post, I guess, um, is that I'm writing literary fiction where there is an emphasis on consistency and i guess quality and some people are writing uh, something like pulp fiction um not the film but pulp fiction is in something that is kind of just fired out and it's meant to entertain and the writing doesn't really matter well that's fine i suppose but i don't want to anyone that comes to my blog for the first time i don't want the first message that they receive is is i don't want the first message they receive to be if you want and you work, I guess, hard enough and quickly enough, you can write a book in seven weeks. Because it's I, because to me, that's not what being a writer is all about. It's about writing. Um, it's about quality, and it's about being proud of every single page of whatever it is you've written. Um, and I know, and I, I think we haven't talked about this, but I think you feel a bit like that with podcasts. I feel like you 
you would never want to knowingly put out an episode of a podcast that you felt was not up to a certain sort of standard. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I have done that and I've made changes to the shows that we do. Um, I've cut shows. I've, um, not released episodes, things like that, you know, Mm. because I, I, I have a standard that I want to try and keep. Um, and it's important to me to maintain that, I think. So, yeah. I mean, the the idea really is that I, I, keep, I try and use every example just to cater for everyone that might be listening. But let me just take nov- a novel as an example. All of your novel should be good. If you want to get published, then all of your novel needs to be good. That's not me saying my novel is brilliant. My novel won't be for everyone. That's fine. No novel is for everyone. But I think my novel is consistent in terms of... Um, all sorts of things, um, style, tone of voice, um, characterization, all those kinds of things. And it's because I've worked an awful, uh, I've worked for an awfully long time on it. And, and that is really, that is the way to, it's because I've been objective about it. And there were times, there were passages of it where I, w- I wouldn't have been objective, um, not initially, but because over time and going back to something and getting feedback and all that kind of thing, the type of thing you can't do in seven weeks. Um, not efficiently. Um, that's what makes it, that's what quality control is. That's what makes it consistent. So the idea is that all of your novel should be good and, um, you should be able to, well, for example, I've just, um, as I said, I've just given a free sample to my mailing list and it happens to be the first four chapters. It kind of makes sense with a novel because things like context, you know, if I just gave a four chapters in the middle of the novel, then there's lots of context and storyline and plot and things that have gone before that kind of will make things not make sense. So it makes sense in that way to send out the first four chapters. But I can honestly say that I would happily give anyone any four chapters in the entire novel because I think that it's got to a point where it's consistent. Um, and, and I'm not saying that to sort of show off or to use myself as some kind of... Um, I was going to say poking stick then, but that, that I, don't, I don't even know where I was going with it. Uh, I don't want to poke anyone with my, um, Mike, you need to stop this. I'm going to say a, a terrible sentence and I don't know how to get around it. Uh, poke anyone with your pokey stick, that will do. That's not, that's a terrible sentence. Yeah, but Goodness. that's better than where you were going. Basically, what I'm saying is I'm not trying to hold myself self up as some kind of shining example, but what I do know is that my novel is consistent and there's been a level of thought and quality control gone into it because I want to be able to open the book at any page and be proud to show someone and for them to read it. And um, that kind of thing can only come from um, time and persistence and having that objecti- objectivity, uh, being able to sort of step back and, and, and I guess to go back to the start, to not get carried away when you've written something that you're really, really happy with. Because there are paragraphs that I'm really, really happy with that are in text files on my computer and aren't going to be in my novel when it comes out in two weeks' time or whenever it is. Um, it's the whole murder your darlings idea. Sometimes you can write something brilliant, but it isn't right for the book. It's not right. You could write a brilliant blog post, but actually it's not right for your blog when by the time you've finished it. So you have to be able to be objective, I'll say it again, be pragmatic and, um, and think about the greater good and, like I say, 
focus on consistency and, um, and quality. But it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy being green. <laughs> it's not. It's not easy being green. But I mean, I'd be interested to know what people people think about that. I've kind of, it's, it's strange. I've been a bit in the wilderness for the last, certainly for the last, I don't know, 18 months, two years. I've been working solely on my novel, but I used to sit, I used to read other people's writing all the time. Obviously I read books that have been published, but I don't, I don't actually read that many books, um, or, or, or short stories or, or pieces by, I guess, unpublished authors is what I'm saying. Um, and I used to do quite a lot because I was in writing groups and I was, went, to, you know, had my masters and stuff. So I could see other people going through the same process. And I'm sure lots of people listening to it are going through the same process. And, and this is the kind of, this is one of the things that makes people stop writing, um, novels and the like is because, and, and even, and blog, and blog, blog posts. I mean, it's the same thing. If you write a blog, then you get to a point where you think, I've written 20 blog posts. I've run out of ideas. What am I going to write now? Same thing happens with a novel. You kind of write so much and you think it's great. And then you write another bit and you think, you know, that's not as good. I don't know if I, I don't know if I can write something as good as that chapter that I've just written. And so you end up giving up. But again, the problem is that you become too emotional about it. You've started to think about it subjectively and, and lose focus. Um, and the focus should be, as I say, on trying to write, um, consistently. And, and that's kind of covered that topic. I think I've, um, um, I think I've covered it reasonably well in the post that I wrote on, uh, on ianbroom.com, which is not right for your life. It'll be in the show notes for the episode two, of course. Indeed. But there is this thing called the, ni- the page 99 test. I don't know if you know about this, Mike. No. Well, I'm going to tell you. Uh, the page 99 test is that you should be able to open page 99 on um, any book and it'd be good. And if you have a book and you open page 99 and you're not happy with it, um, then um, you need to work on page 99 and maybe some others as well. But it's, it's an actual thing. It's an actual thing, the 99 test. And it's the, it's the same principle that you know, every page should uh, have the same kind of uh, respect and treatment. Huh. Well, then doesn't everyone just make page 99 really good then? <laughs> <laughs> if you all know about it. That's where the real exciting stuff happens on page 99. Indeed, quite possibly, quite possibly. Um, so, that, so I mean, that, that's it for me. I'm, um, there's lots of other stuff that I've been uh, thinking about this week. Um, I've been thinking about um, what to do with the website now that it's launched. We talked about membership schemes a couple of weeks ago. I've been thinking about that an awful lot. That's a, such a hot potato, isn't it, how to make a, how to make a living out of a, uh, a website. How to say a living, just any kind of If we knew how to money. do that, Broom, then we'd all be doing exactly what we want, wouldn't we? I know, but I've been thinking about it an awful lot, and I think I have an idea, but I'm not willing to reveal it just yet. Can I, t- can I tell everyone about our second sponsor before we leave? You don't only have my permission. I would actively encourage you to actually tell people about it. Wow, I'm going to tell everyone about Squarespace then. So we've been talking about Squarespace a lot. We've been talking about it for some time now. Um, and last week I spoke about, I gave a brief overview of their features like uh, rock solid hosting, easy WYSIWYG site design, um, iOS app, we spoke about that and how great that is, the statistics package that they have um, and how they give you a real great breakdown of things and you can really dig in. Um, it's all native, which is excellent. But I think I've been talking about this this week on the other shows as well. The thing that I love the most about Squarespace is that 
I have my entire online presence managed through one company, one one uh, payment plan, one cheap plan. Um, I don't have to worry about hosting. Um, it's, that's all taken care of. It's totally rock solid. I've never had any problems with the hosting. Um, my site has 70 test spells has been up constantly. It doesn't matter who links to us, it stays up. So, you know, to, to get that sort of hosting dedicated, is it's not cheap, but it's all integrated in Squarespace. I have the ability to build the site and make it look exactly how I want. I don't have to learn any code. I don't have to hire a designer. I don't have to buy any themes. It's all taken care of in one monthly fee. Squarespace have two pricing plans. They have a standard plan and an unlimited plan. If you buy by month to month, um, the standard plan will cost you $10 a month and the unlimited plan will cost you $20 a month. That's their sort of standard, what they do. But you can get it for much cheaper than that. If You, you can get a discount if you want to pay annually. So if you pay annually on the, month, on the uh, standard plan, you'll get it for the equivalent of $8 a month and $16 a month equivalent for unlimited plan. And if you buy one of the annual plans, then you'll get a free custom domain name too, as well as the discount, which is awesome. I use the unlimited package. Um, for me, it's just the the way to go because I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have to to worry. You know, I can have as many pages as I want. So as we have more and more shows, I can have more and more pages. We have unlimited bandwidth, so I can put all of my files up there, um, and they will get distributed without any issue with load. I have unlimited storage, so everything is absolutely uncapped, twenty four seven support. If I have any problems, I can contact the support teams there. Um, it's you know I the fact the reason that I have the unlimited page uh, package is just so as I grow and as the network grows, I don't have to worry about the the website because Squarespace will just accommodate for it. I want you to go and try out Squarespace. Um, I can give you a two week free trial to do so. Go to squarespace.com forward slash seventy decibels to sign up. And if you decide to join Squarespace, you can get 10% off your first purchase by using the coupon code 70decibels7 at checkout. This also lets them know that you have found them through us. And that code is 70decibels7. So thank you to Squarespace. Thank you, Squarespace. Indeed. That was my airport voice. It was good. And thank you to Squarespace. Well, you've got a, you've got an, I think was that where was that from? Where, what sort of um, public building where would that announcement have uh, taken place? A fancy one. <laughs> Fine. Where can we find you, Mike? I know you normally ask me that first, but I oh, felt wow. like I should step in there because we were going to be doing voices all night. <laughs> I'm on Twitter. I'm I Mike. I M Y K E. And I am IanBroom.com. Hooray! Hooray! Finally, congratulations, IanBroom.com. Thanks very much. I think I might just call you that from now on. <laughs> that way we won't get it confused. I won't call you Mr. Right for your life. It's fine by me. Fine by you. Okay, ianbroon.com, until next week.com. Until next week. See ya. Farewell. Dear Maiden. <laughs>